Welcome to episode 314. Does church revitalization sound way too daunting? Or maybe you don't know where to start. Here is our three-step guide to simplify leading change. Part one starts today on The Reclaim Leader. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 314 of The Reclaim Leader. I'm Jason Tucker, back again with Jesse Skivington. Jesse, you're about ready to start a three-part series, which we haven't done that in a while, so looking yeah. forward to it. Yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to it. And more than just the three-part series, the, the content or the topic that we're going to get into, I think, is, is really important You know, um, to think about how do we lead change. And really, I like the way that you put it. How do we simplify that or break it down into some uh, actionable, more bite-sized things? And just, I think we can make things overcomplicated or the problem seems so big, we don't even know where to start. We might have a longing to see healthy change in the life of a church, but where do you even begin? You know, so I'm really looking forward to this conversation as we just think about what are, how do we simplify leading change? How do we break it down and uh, get to actionable steps? Yeah. One of the things that I realized is, you know, I mean, I've been teaching a lot about leading change, which with lots of different churches, and it's been really, it's always enjoyable when I get a chance to do that. But one thing I realized uh, in this last retreat uh, that that we just did in real time a week ago is that I'm, I, I need, I'm feeling a need to break it down even more so that it's not so overwhelming because it, it can get overwhelming really fast. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're calling this a three-step guide to simplify leading change. Um, it's really, how do we break it down? Like you said, so that maybe even each week, uh, you know, pastors, you can listen to this and you could talk with your leadership or talk with an elder or somebody and just start talking through it bit by bit. And I think it's that if you have something that's really clear and, and easy to follow, then I think it's easier to get good results out of it. So <laughs> that's right. well, it's easier to share it too, with someone and say, Hey, listen yeah. to this. This is what I'm talking about. And what do you think? And is this something that we could move toward or something? And I do find when you, with your leadership, an elder or a group of elders or, or folks in your leadership team, if you can talk, speak the same language or share the same concepts, I, I think that's another way that you can move uh, forward. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I think, I think it's good stuff. So one of the things that this series is going to answer is a question. Every time I start talking about leading change, some of the big questions that come up are where do I get started and what's the minimum resource requirement needed to make change happen? Mm-hmm. What, what are the things, what are the essential things that I need? And if I don't have those in place, does that mean that change, you know, isn't going to work? It's not going to take off. What do I do if I have a church that's really, really small, a micro church can I make change there? And we're going to get to the answers of those. And this isn't any sort of strategy in our part to tease it till the end. It's just that a lot of those answers come as a, as a result of step three of this process. So uh, Sam Rayner, who writes about uh, church change a lot, um, he, he wrote this PDF and you could do a Google search. It's for free. Uh, and he called it the church revitalization checklist. And I found it pretty helpful. I mean, it's a it's a decent thing to kind of think through and maybe get your hands around. What are some things I need to do to get started? But I do like what he said in his intro a lot. So I just want to quote it for you. He said, far too many churches 
hit the pause button when what they really need is a full reset. Depending on who's counting, somewhere between 65 and 90% of churches need some form of revitalization. I, I think that's, by the way, I think editorially, I think that's very true. I, I In just what I've seen in real time, I think that's very true. Is that I dare say all of us who aren't giant mega churches, I think we could use coaching. I think we use revitalization. I think we all need to be working on that. He continues, yes, there are times to pause, take a breath, and reevaluate. But some churches have been idling on the sidelines for decades. A lot of churches, I thought this is funny, a lot of churches are still driving around in a 1982 Ford Escort. The best-selling car of the year with its 1.6-liter single-cam engine pulling a full 68 horsepower and yelling, it still runs, out of the manually rolled-down window. Hitting the 40-year pause button is nothing to brag about. Just because it was popular way back when doesn't mean it should be driving your church today. Now is the time for a reset. If the COVID-19 lockdown taught us anything, it's that the church can adapt quickly to changing circumstances. I think that's a great reminder. One of the things that we were all talking about through the whole pandemic was the silver lining of ending some things that needed to end for a long time. And making quick shifts, you know, with nobody in the building, we renovated our parlor and we called it our connect center. And I got to tell you, made it a lot easier with no one in the building, right? We were just able to do things a little differently. And, you know, obviously it was horrible. We didn't see anybody. And it was just, obviously uh, it was not anything I would wish on anyone, but disruption may be just the shakeup that we need. And that's what we need. Hitting the pause button and be like, well, we're going to wait for better times, better economy, when more people start coming, when we get young families, whatever. Hitting the pause button does not work. We've been hitting the pause button for far too long as churches. I get why, but it's time to, if you're not shaken up by where you're at and what the need is in the world, it's time to get shaken up because we got to make those changes. I know that's that's very preachy. Yeah, I think another way maybe to think about that pause button too, it's like, you know, you're scrolling on Instagram and you come across like that cute puppy video and <laughs> watch it once and then you watch it twice and then you watch it three times and it just, it just keeps rolling through. And eventually you're like, okay, we got to, we got to turn the page. We got to move on to the next thing. And I think sometimes as, as churches, we, we found whether it was in the 80s or the 90s or back in 1955 or whenever it was, we found a sweet spot, something that we liked. We enjoyed it. It was powerful. It was whatever. And we just kept running the thing back again and again and again to the point where, frankly, we forgot how to innovate. We forgot how to do something. new. We forgot how to adapt and to bring change. And so it is like we've been on uh, under pause since that high point. And what we need to be honest about is the outcomes of that are not so great, declining down into the left, struggling kind of status quo kind of stuff. And I love that he ends that that uh, introduction with the pandemic, like like you mentioned, because it reminds us that that DNA of adaptive change is still in us, that it's possible, and we can do things together to solve problems and to move forward and to lead change in our churches. So it's, we're not without hope here. We just have to be clear and honest with ourselves about what's going on too. Right. So a good question to ask is if your pastor, if you're feeling 
maybe defeated or maybe not so optimistic about leading change, just think about what did you do in the pandemic that worked and and how quickly did you make that happen? Again, I think that's there's some precedent that it is possible and you can do it with the proper focus and execution. So that's what this these yep. couple episodes are going to be about. Part one today is uh, part one and part two are all about um, what are the main things to do? And part three is how do you increase the resources to do them? Yeah. So uh, so let's get into it. I think the process of any revitalization effort is to just begin with asking some questions. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the better questions you ask and the more questions you ask, the better you could diagnose what's going on in the life of your church. Mm-hmm. So I think a way to get started is to focus on why do you do what you do? You know, make a list of the things that you do as a church and start asking the question, why do we do this thing? Why do we do it? And there's probably an answer for everything. And maybe for some things, the answer is because we did it last year, right? <laughs> that sort of happens a lot in the church. Why do we do it? And then ask a question, is it effective? Is, is there, does it feel like God's using this to draw people closer to him. And then and then ask, well, is it effective in reaching the people that we're trying to reach or that we need to reach? Right? So you just start asking questions. And you know, don't worry too much if they're like, I mean, they don't have to be perfect questions. Just start, just keep asking questions. Be curious, uh, mm-hmm. to quote Ted Lasso, right? Uh, you know, be be curious. And don't judge the responses. Just start asking questions about where you're at as a church. And then, and then just start asking, what can be more effective? What could be more effective? These are conversations I would call the preliminary step in church revitalization. And then you're going to start a two-pronged attack based on those things. Spiritual and strategic. Mm-hmm. It needs to be spiritual and strategic. It can happen at the same time, but you need both intentionally. Here's what I mean. Step one, and this is what we're talking about today. And this is the part that nobody wants to start with. (laughs) Step one necessarily begins with discipleship, leaning into discipleship with the congregation, because they need to feel the pull of the spirit to the missional reality of the church. And that happens when they individually grow closer to Jesus, and then the congregation continues to grow closer to Jesus. That is what is going to make change happen. It's the people's hearts turning around and turning toward the Lord. And I'm not saying that your congregation's apostate or anything like that. I'm just saying we all need that. The renewal begins within us. The revitalization begins in our own hearts. And that's true of us as leaders. Yeah. And I think if we're honest with ourselves and if people in our churches are honest, there's there's a, kind of a plateau that can happen in, in the life of faith. It's just you kind of do what you do and you just kind of keep putting one foot in front of the other. You can't live on the mountaintop all the time, all those kinds of thoughts. But what does it look like to have a, a growing faith or a flourishing faith or something that's alive and, and uh, dynamic? And I think when I think about the gospel itself, the message of the gospel uh, is is both challenging and comforting. It challenges us to to continue to to grow and become more and more like Christ in in our freedom, and it is also a great comfort that it doesn't only depend on us and our efforts. It's what God has done for us in Christ and and the gift of the Spirit. But when we 
are growing in our discipleship or we're focused on helping people to be uh, to go deeper with Jesus or to invest more in, in their relationship with Christ, I think that challenge and that comfort are going to come together. Yeah. The challenge to go to do something more than just the status quo. Hey, Reclaim Leader community, before we continue this conversation, I wanted you to know how you can get our Christmas outreach guide and our pathway template so that you can plug in the steps for your Christmas pathway absolutely free. So you can go to reclaimedleader.com forward slash Christmas right now. By subscribing to our newsletter, you get the latest episode information, resource suggestions, giveaways, and more. That's reclaimedleader.com forward slash Christmas today and start reaching people with your pathway. Now back to the conversation. And, and listen, Romans 12 explains to us that if, if we do not conform to the pattern of this world, be transformed by the renewing of our mind, we will know what God's will is. Yeah. He, like he is going to let us know exactly what he wants for us yeah. as individuals and as churches. Yeah. But it starts with discipleship because here's the problem. You and I serve in the main line um, and life in the main line is tricky. You get a lot of Christians who think discipleship and and I don't I really don't mean this as as a knock on them because it's pastors fault that they've been allowed yeah. to think this way right yeah. it's not their fault is that they believe discipleship is a combination of faithful attendance and volunteerism mm-hmm. which may be an outpouring of a relationship with Jesus but that's not the same thing as a relationship with Jesus and they've they've conflated that to be that is my relationship with you that is what discipleship is we just had just heard uh, from one of our pastors who prayed with a, a member. She's in her 80s. She served here like forever and did a lot in the life of the church. She just received Jesus Christ through prayer. And and we were having a conversation about it. We're like, how does that happen? Mm-hmm. How does that happen where somebody who serves their whole life doesn't doesn't get the gospel? doesn't really understand it for them as individuals. How does that happen? I think it's just because it's it was just sort of ingrained at a young age, and this is what you do, and this is what discipleship is. So I feel like, at least in the main line, we're fighting against that gravitational pull to say, well, what does it look like to receive Jesus Christ and let him let his spirit do the transforming work mm-hmm. inside of you and give you the strength and power to follow. And I just don't think it's necessarily something that everybody knows. Yeah. I, yeah. And uh, starting with discipleship, you know, in some ways we go, oh, so I don't have to be a leadership expert. I don't have to know all the strategic ins and outs of how to lead change. I just need to know how to follow Jesus and help other people to follow Jesus too. Uh, that's what I need to do. And I think that's what pastors we're most passionate about. That's why yeah. we do what we do. We want to love God and love our neighbor and point people to Jesus and help people grow in their faith. And I think as if that's the starting point, then we're set up for success because we're not alone. The Holy Spirit is with us to help us with that. But we're also doing something that is this relationally driven 
thing that we probably in some form of our call story felt called to help people follow Jesus and to live out their faith. And so that to me is a refreshing thing. I don't, I didn't have to go to John Maxwell's, you know, 35 points of leadership class in order to do whatever. (laughs) Like, I mean, that's great. Those are all good things, but it starts with being a disciple who makes disciples, following Jesus and helping others follow, having a living relationship with Christ that that then spills out into the way that you help others experience that too. So to me, that's just reassuring. And actually I go, Oh, okay. I think that churches, we have, we have something there that we can, we can work with. Yeah. So uh, we promised this would be very practical. Here are just the steps that, that we have used that my church has used when we're trying to do this in the congregation. These are the, this is the exact recipe uh, that we use and we use it over and over again. Uh, so I usually, when I want to kind of work on discipleship in a real intentional way, it's not that I'm, we're not discipling all the time, but you know what I mean? A real sort of intentional, concentrated effort is, and you'll hear me say this a lot, a sermon series goes a long way. So here's what we did. We went through Richard Foster's book on spiritual disciplines, and I did a sermon series written around that and the application points each week, they the congregation had an assignment to do this spiritual exercise. So for example, we'd print out the prayer of examine and we would say this week, you know, as many days as you can do this at the end of the day or a discipline of fasting, a discipline of worship, a discipline of prayer or Bible say whatever it is. But we made it very, very granular. We gave them the exact assignment to do. I mean, obviously you don't have to do it, but one of the tricky things is when you're talking about spiritual disciplines, again, it gets overwhelming for people. Okay, well, where do I even start? I don't even know what I like. And say, well, just do this thing. And then the idea is over these, I think it was a seven-week series, over these seven weeks, you're going to find some practices that you really like, that you really gravitate towards. And those, you can add those to your toolbox for how you can grow in your relationship with Jesus. The series is called Louder, uh, How to Hear God's Voice Through Life's Noise. And I, at the time, God, this was years ago, but I wrote an ebook and, and here's what we're going to do. I'm going to share it with all of you. So if you are a subscriber to the podcast, you will get it, uh, automatically in your inbox. I'm going to send that. So a little encouragement for folks to subscribe, but you'll get the ebook and it goes through each of the spiritual disciplines and which is basically the outline for the sermon series. Um, but yeah, do you, do you do sermon series on, on spiritual formation? Is that something that you've... Yeah, we tend to do that in January and and maybe like May or something, but kind of drilling down on some key aspects, very practical aspects of what does it mean to have uh, a relationship with Christ? What What is the practical way that you live that out? And I think just giving, simplifying it down and giving some people, people some things to try on for size, I think is helpful. And, and, uh, in the end, discipleship, it really is a practical thing. I mean, um, uh, having some of those spiritual disciplines in your life. Um, so sometimes we think in terms of maybe relational, uh, practical relational tools, it, it, or we think in terms of uh, practical spiritual disciplines, or uh, what does it mean practically to, to live out our faith together in community? But you you know, you want to drill down to some something of a a a discipline or uh, something that somebody can actually do to take a step and implement in their life and see, see what God does because of it. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, and then what we did was we wanted to have some sort of accountability. 
And and I've done this when I served at a very small church. We did this. We only had one small group, but (laughs) we did a small group. And the whole idea of the small group is to respond to what they're hearing in in the sermon series. And so there'll be three or four or five questions based on the series. And because nowadays everything's streamed, Mm -hmm. if they miss church, they can go back and listen and get caught up. But what that does is it creates some accountability with the people in a small group about following through with the spiritual practices. One of the questions is, which spiritual practice did you do this week? What was it like? Right. So they feel like they have to at least put it into action because there's some accountability there. Some sort of small group, it just helps develop spiritual friendships focused around the same conversation, which is really powerful. Mm -hmm. Then, and this is something Bob Weitzel's big on in his book, Cure for the Common Church. Uh, Bob Weitzel, church consultant uh, and professor and friend of the podcast, he believes in missionalizing the small group. So ask the small group then to serve together in some meaningful way, again, as a spiritual practice. And, And service is one of the spiritual practices. So it's a great thing to sort of unfold in there. Hey, my small group is gonna, you know, help stuff the fixins bags for the turkey dinners that we give out or my small group is going to volunteer to greet people on Sunday morning one Sunday or or work in the preschool or whatever it looks like right get them to serve together and and it's just it's reinforcing the spiritual discipline because i think the big issue is helping people understand that discipleship is just simply apprenticeship you're learning how to do it so that you can do it yeah. <laughs> right. You're not learning how to do it so you can sit and watch other people do it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I think that's a great picture. And that the doing of it is also discipleship, right? It is yeah. learning as you go, uh, growing in the in the fruit of the spirit as you go. It's it's a lived faith. It's not um it's not something that's static. And so uh Pastor John here used to always say, God can't steer a parked car and or something, parked life, or however he said, you can't steer a parked I like it car and God can't steer a parked life. And the point is, as you're putting things into action, you're trying things on, you're, you're working out your faith in some way. That's when you notice what God is doing. That's when you're more attentive. And, um, and we can encourage our people in that direction. Again, discipleship, it doesn't have to be this complex, huge system we create. Talk about it in a sermon, give some application, get people into a group to talk about it together and how, yeah. and, and to talk about how it's going. Yeah. So then uh, a fourth step, right? So sermon series, small group, small group serving together. Fourth step is to try to get within the small group people to uh, take on an accountability partner. And that's like a next level of, and and with some guidelines, hey, we're going to meet one time aside from this group. And we're going to talk about how things are going spiritually, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We did this, uh, We've done it online. We did that 30 days deeper where we yeah, had that people was fun. get, we used that. That was great. Yeah, yeah, accountability partners and stuff. So I think it's so that you can ask, what's my next step? So you can ask one another, what's my next step? Hey, you know, we've been talking for a few weeks. What do you think my next step is? You know, and it's again helping people take a step spiritually. And then, and then five, and this is kind of the last one that we do, is that how do we help people learn how to talk about their faith story? Yeah. Yeah. Because that grows you so much uh, just 
going through your story. And then it gives you, it makes you equipped to tell your story so that others may know nothing grows your faith, like sharing your faith. I mean, truly. So, uh, and this actually was from the Sam Rayner book. He says, most people don't share their faith for two reasons, fear of failure and fear of rejection. Mm -hmm. So if, but if you feel like you're kind of going through this together, it, it helps you get through it. There's this great curriculum that we're trying as a church right now called Rooted. And I've actually met a pastor who's doing uh, Rooted as well last week. And it's really, really good. It goes deep fast, <laughs> but it helps people to put together their story and tell it mm-hmm. to one another. And some sort of curriculum like that uh, will help. There are lots of different things out there, but just pick something that helps people start talking about their faith story. Mm-hmm. And, and I think if you can do these five things and put them in your church, then people are going to be growing in their faith. And that sets everything up for leading change because change is going to happen actually organically as people right. are changing. They're going to have different priorities. They're going to be thinking about things they weren't thinking about before. Yeah. And when you're growing or you're finding joy in your faith or you're feeling more connected, I mean, that's going to yield something. It's tilling up the soil for, for other opportunities. And so I think there's a good model, you know, as you get think, people thinking about, you know, what is, what am I hearing? What am I, what is God calling me to do? How am I going to do it? What support do I need? Like that, that bottom half, that really gets people moving in their faith. And then when we say, Hey, we want to try, or we're thinking about, what are you guys hearing? What do you think would be an effective way to reach out? All of a sudden we're not, we're, we, people have a kind of a running start. You know, people yes. are already moving. And so it's not like going from standing still to now you want them to start sprinting towards first base or something. No, we're already yeah. kind of moving. Now, which direction do you think God wants us to go and how can we do that? That's exactly right. And one necessarily leads to the other. So as people are experiencing a dynamic and re- growing relationship with Jesus, the next question is, how do we help others to have a growing relationship exactly. with Jesus? Yeah. So let's drill and down. And that's when you get to strategy. Exactly. So we're going to get into that in part two of this series, you know, thinking in terms of discipleship. I love this simple five kind of five fold picture of that. You know, I'm sure there's other variations, but I mean, basic, keep it, keep it simple and and help people to move uh, forward in their relationship with Christ. And then next time we're going to get into some more of the strategic stuff around that. Now that we're moving, how do we build some structure and system around that to, to, to keep things going? So I love it, Jason. Really good stuff. And I'm looking forward to, to diving into that conversation the next time around. Yeah, I can't wait. And if, and if you have any questions, uh, pastors or anyone listening, actually, if you want to reach out to us, Jason or Jesse at reclaimleader.com. I uh, had the privilege of uh, talking to Scott and I look forward to meeting with him uh, who uh, reached out to us. So love talking, love, love talking shop and any way we can help. We're here for you. So thanks so much for listening. Ministry is hard. It is so much better when we do it together.